I'm Sonia Morton Firth and you're tuned in to the Sonia Morton Firth Show. Today my guest is Steve Parker. Steve has been involved in exporting and international trade for 40 years and sold into 30 countries. He is now an expert provider on the internationalization and innovation enterprise program for the Thai government and he hosts his own radio show. Steve, thank you so much for being in my coming here all the way to Richmond and being a guest on my show because the last time we were chatting, which was about a few months ago. A few let's say it's a few months a ago. A few months ago. Yeah. I was on I was on your radio show. Yeah, but we you were on Zoom, so at least we could see each other. Yeah, well So this is a bit like this. It's a little bit like this, just a bit different. Yeah. Yeah, just not just our voices, people can actually see us. Now, when I was thinking about sort of things about your business and what we talk about, I was thinking, well, how can we, how can we really sex up the export business? How can we make this really entertaining? And that was what was playing on my mind. But I think the best thing to do is just get into what got you into the export trade business in the first place? Um, well, we don't need to sex it up too much because international and foreign countries and oh. things are always exciting anyway, even if you only think about your holidays when we're doing it. Yes, it's always good. Uh, yeah, I got into exporting an international trade completely by accident um, 40 years ago now. I wanted to be a sports journalist. I always wanted to follow sport and write down things like that. And it was, it was great. And I got through to the, um, oh, I don't know, about the fifth interview of my local paper. And there were six and I, I didn't get it. Um, and I was kind of kicking my heels and somebody said there was a job at a company many people would have heard of. Helix, who made those math sets that you had at school. Oh, yes. With a protector I remember. and a compass. I remember the, yeah, yeah. Helix, yeah. Um, and, um, and I got a job in their shipping department, and we did 60 consignments a week for nine months of the year and 45. And, you know, I started at the bottom of it. But it was exciting sending stuff around the world, virtually every country in the world, by virtually every method. And then that gave you some escapism, even if you were doing something fairly boring in the day you knew that something that had been made downstairs in the factory mm. was going to end up in Tanzania or the Middle East or, or the Far East because we really did sell them. Um, and I got a taste of it and uh, an expression I use because I live near a place called Dudley, which just happens to match with the next line. Psychologically, it was always more exciting to be dealing with Dubai than Dudley. <laughs> uh, I, I probably, yeah, I can't think I, I can mean? see that, yeah. Still yeah. Is, you know. It begins with a D, they both begin with D. But yeah, yeah, there was a bit of a flow to it, so yeah. we thought we'd, we'd use that. And do you think, I mean, because I mean, where you've got to now, you've helped hundreds of companies export outside yeah. of the UK and vice versa, as I understand. What do you think, and, and you've, you've mentioned some things that sound you know, relatively exciting. What's the most <coughs> exciting part of your job or what bit do you, do really gets you up, what gets you going? Um, it's the competition along the way. It's trying to overcome all those barriers which you'd imagine like culture and language and global competition and and things like that. But then it's particularly great when you see genuine people and genuine products appear overseas. My you know, my thrill now is still if I'm in a taxi driving somewhere, I still know where various products that I've worked with are. And it's the thrill of beating global competition because we're not very good in the UK at well, that's what I was picking ourselves say, up, aren't we? Because we're just this little island, aren't we? We're this little um, tiny triangle compared with the rest of the world. How do we? How does the UK or how do com UK companies, English companies, British companies, um, deal with export? I mean, are we any good at it? 
Oh, well, have we got anything to export? <coughs> I was going to say. What do we tend to export and what are the challenges for our UK companies? Um, I think we're not very good at boasting about it. First of all, there's a, there's a great perception of the UK um, of honesty and integrity and of making great things. Um, but don't forget how many products from the UK, inventions of, are still globally around the world. And I happen to live in a place where until a few years ago, 90% of the patents lodged in the whole of the UK for, were from my area. Uh, we're just not very good at telling about it. So people like you and uh, if you listen to the main media, nobody boasts about it and, and you, you don't see it. It's, it's too good a news story. So we do actually export billions of pounds worth of goods and services pretty much everywhere in the world. Um, and that's, that's a huge thrill. And we've got the potential for doing even more, even more now. Um, What's the biggest challenge for a UK company? If you could advise anyone, if anyone's sitting there and they're thinking, well, you know, I've got my local market here in the UK. I know, I know what I'm dealing with. I know the language. I know the culture. But, but they're sitting on a great opportunity. What, what's that next step? Or how do they get over that? Well, you kind of touched on it when you did the bit about the UK. And we, <clears throat> I tend to draw it as a triangle. Yeah, and then if you put that triangle on a, on a world map, you can hardly see it. Um, so from an ambition point of view, if that tiny triangle on the world map is the sum totals of your ambitions, that's absolutely fine. But as an illustration, um, I was asked to join a company maybe 20 years ago, and I went through all the board interviews and things like that, and they said, we want you to join it, it'll be signed up by the, the chairman, um, and he just happens to be in today. Um, so why not see him? And I went in, in his big old-fashioned boardroom with a green base table, and a seven-foot square mural of his late dad with a, oh, with, a with a child who seemed to he didn't have a cigar as well, did yeah, he? Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know, like those movies where somebody's eyes follow you around the room. Mm. It felt like his eyes followed you around the room. And he sat me to he sat me down and he said, um, "I'm really glad you're joining us. We haven't done any exports properly forever." Um, and I'm, they tell me you can help. He said, "But did they tell you that you've got 650 manufacturer competitors in Europe?" And I said, "No." And he said, well, they probably wouldn't have told you you've got 9,000 manufacturer competitors worldwide. And I said, no. And he said, but you don't look too shocked. And I said, it's just, if we're good enough, if we get the right, if we get the right people relationships, we'll make it work. And he said, oh, you've ruined my punchline, he said. My, my punchline was, if you can get me half of 1% of the market share, we can have four factories instead of two. And I went round with the products 25 weeks a year for four or five years, um, thinking, I've got to be able to get half of 1%. So the reason for exporting is you only need a tiny percentage of each market or one market, and it could well be greater than you'll ever get in the UK. So it can be done. There are lots of people who can help you to get it done, obviously uh, people like me. Um, and uh, go out of your comfort zone. You can have better relationships with people overseas and... Um, they appreciate that you're a long way from them and, you know, they're a long way from you. So you, you focus on the people element and um, they make it work. You've mentioned the people element quite a bit. Um, and funnily enough, in my old job, back in my corporate life, I spent most of the majority of my time outside of the UK selling what we did in the UK outside to various different markets in Europe and the US. And one of my biggest, I guess, challenges or success stories 
was learning the different cultures. Believe it or not, the hardest place was Europe because we've got so many different cultures in Europe. It's another misconception, it, it, isn't it? It yeah. really is. And there's so many different languages. And I remember <coughs> going into these meetings and it would be like, right, we're in Switzerland. So we take a cup of coffee and we know we're going to have a chocolate next to it. Mm. You go to Spain and actually you've got to have lunch with the guy and have a glass of wine and... I mean, I remember a guy, he handed me a napkin and, and that was the contract, basically. At the end of it, we're talking about the good old days You're fine. of the time. After, a, after yeah. a nice lunch. And then in Germany, it's like, well, you have to have a, you know, a pint of beer. And then in Holland, they want the, the details. Each country had its own particular way of doing things. And I remember, I remember going to the US, and, and this is one country that speaks our language. Just about, it's, a, it's, a very it's a bit tenuous, it's a bit yeah. tenuous. And you were lucky to get a glass of water. It was like, right, you've got 30 minutes. And, and it, you literally, you were timed on the clock. That, there's, if you had a glass of water, that was, that was a good sign sort of thing. Yeah. What do you, what do you think about, um, about the cultural differences and maybe what a, an easy country for us Brits to deal with is? Is there a, a sort of an easier country to deal with? Uh, it, look, it's a really valid point because people who've dealt in the UK think it's about um, checking somebody's finances, checking somebody's credit rating and looking at it from a, from a corporate point of view. And an overseas business, in my view, isn't like that. It, it's about uh, knowing you want to create the best relationship you can with the, with the right people for you. And let's face it, we, we don't all like everybody. Um, so we can't expect to be liked anyway. So <clears throat> there are... Um, uh, there are ways of guaranteeing you can get paid anyway, so let's forget that side of it. Do I really care how much money somebody's got or not? No. What I really want is somebody who I can trust and who I can, uh, who will work with me and for me on a daily basis, who will enthusiastically promote my product and my brand on a daily basis. So <clears throat> my view was always um, concentrate on the relationship and the people and develop that. And so you're right, it's a misnomer that dealing with Europe is, is the closest market, and we're not being political here, but we, we had a lot of that thrown at us um, before Brexit. Um, but you're right, uh, it can be as difficult culturally and language-wise to be dealing with Europe as it can be to USA, Australia. Um, most of the Gulf, their first business language is, is, is English anyway. I actually prefer doing business in English. So, um, you know, you can do that. And then some of the cultural bits you can soon learn. But I use a Middle East method wherever I go because that, that seemed to make fundamental sense. And the way, the way of understanding it is, is they went, a lot of the Gulf and the Middle East fundamentally went from, has grown up really, really quickly. Uh, so they went from tribes and only dealing with people who they would accept in the tribe. And they had a method of, of, of letting people into their families or their, or their tribe. And they came, we came up with something called the four T's. They always want to touch, touch the person and the product that they're dealing with, test the person and the product that they're dealing with. So it could be um, trial order, see if you're going to respond, uh, see how you're going to respond, see if you're as friendly the next time as you were when you went out. And... Uh, then they'll give you a chance to, to do a larger tender, if you like, and then you build up a, a method called trust. So if you concentrate on the relationship part, and, and that's quite good fun, then now, you'll do it. 
ha back in the good old days, when we could actually meet each other and see each other, were you actually going over to these countries to, to, to build that relationship, or was this still done, was it done through the phone or through email? Um, no. Um, I spent 25 weeks a year overseas for 10 or 15 years. Do you think that's important to actually get that sort of that physical relationship, that actual face-to-face -face relationship yeah. with somebody? You, you absolutely do. You need to test the relationship in reverse uh, because it's your brand, it's your company. Um, if it's your own company, it's a version of you. Um, it needs to be a longer interview, if you like, without, without it being an interview. And I learned a huge amount. The, the best way of learning about culture overseas is to watch what the local people do and learn from the other people. So, you know, you can read books and you can say, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to do that and I'm supposed to do that. Well, so you can do some of the basics in every country. Um, you can learn in the Middle East, not to mention finances, because meetings will be abruptly halted. Um, so switch off from that. Um, and you can learn cultural things, or you can be taken out by somebody like me who will take you into the meetings, tell you, you know, lead the meetings for you, and then you can get around it. Somebody did that with me first time I went to the Middle East, and I learned a lot, but we were still thrown out of one meeting, and we were still thrown back into a bar, which we drifted out because the perimeter for drinking alcohol was over there, and we'd stepped out of it. And I, well, at least you knew that for the next time. <laughs> I'd been thrown out of bars before, but I'd never been thrown into, into it. One. And I also learned that thinking about it, they were going through the same issues. How do I speak to an English person? Um, aren't they going to be too reserved? Can we do it? And some of the people I still deal with that influenced the way I do it was creating an experience whenever you met somebody because fundamentally you wanted them, you wanted anybody you met to remember you in some positive way when you got back on the plane, when you then contacted them. And we've kind of forgotten about this in this country. We Big business tells us, Oh, it's all about big data and big market intelligence. It's about relationships. I mean, I, I completely agree, Steve. And, and having been in sales for about, well, 15 plus years of my life, I always wanted to get in front of clients. I wouldn't deal with over email. I wouldn't deal over the phone. Get me the meeting, get me through the door, get me in front of somebody. But that bears the question right now with COVID. And we are literally, we're coming out of lockdown, but we're here in the UK. How has that affected the export business? Yeah, obviously COVID has had a dramatic effect. Um, but it goes back to why you should export globally in the first place, because some are being affected more and uh, more or less than others. Some are coming out of it fast. So if you've got a broad spread of markets, um, you know, you've got a better chance of success. Mitigating you're not, your risk. You're mitigating yeah. the risk. You're not being uh, constrained by your sector in the UK market. I don't know hospitality going from I, I know somebody who had you know before last March had 18 had an 18 month order book and an 18 month list of events and and 24 hours later had none so mm. you're mitigating your risk by doing it globally it's giving you some inspiration sometimes as to how other countries are are managing it and how they're handling it and it spreads that through you're right thankfully through video calls zooms whatsapps Again, some of those weren't allowed in certain countries in the world because um, they thought it would give them access, give their population access to 
information they didn't want them to have, just like you know Google and others are restricted. So um, thankfully, we've still been able to at least see each other as opposed to an old, an old phone call. Um, and I've done board meetings with clients in Thailand where you can still, if you stare hard enough, you can still read people's body language and you can still read people's facial expressions. And, and what, what we learned before was tone of language. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes even if you have a translator, we, we were out in Thailand last February just before, uh, when it was just starting really. And a colleague and I, fellow expert, had some doubts about a couple of the board members in a, in a group. And one of them uh, pretended his English wasn't very good, which we later found out it was quite good. And uh, so he always spoke in Thai. And we had an interpreter. And after about the first 10 minutes of a particular session with a, with a board member, I had a chat with her over a cup of tea and said, um, I want to play a bit of a game with you here. Um, but even before you've translated it, I'm going to have a piece of paper by my side, which I'll have a mark on it, which will denote whether I believe him or not, so that you can decide how to phrase the next session. And so we then compared notes as to whether we actually believed what the person was saying or whether he was just saying it from, you know, because it was the right thing to do and he wanted to impress. Um, but no, people should get back out and travel wherever they can, um, cement some of those relationships. And remember, people are, are looking for new opportunities like they are in this country. They are globally. They've had time to look at their global strategies. They've had chance to look at what new products could be in, whereas before it might have just got lost in everybody bombarding them. So it's still a good chance of, of doing that. And then get out to see them as soon as you can, because as we found this morning, you and I have spoken to each other for 12 months now. It's the first time of his I know, life. I know. And isn't that crazy? And, and we live just down, well, relatively speaking, in the global place, down the road from each other. Indeed. There's two things I just want to pick up on there. You mentioned opportunities. There are opportunities. What are the biggest opportunities you think out there at the moment? Um, there are lots of opportunities for small companies as well as, as big ones. That whole tiny percentage is great. The people relationship. Imagine if you were... You should sell the way you'd want to buy. You should imagine why you want to buy and what corners, what kind of things you'd, you want. So if somebody's coming to you with, I guess, sales and marketing utopia, wherever you are in the world, is if somebody's looked at your company and they've seen what you do and they come back to you with a new product that nobody's ever seen before. And you can be the only person in that market that's got the product. Isn't that sales and marketing utopia? Yeah. It is. And then you think, well, hang on, these aren't very big. You know, these aren't very, very large companies. But if you can support them and they can support you and they will actively go out because they've got an excuse to go into a company, they've got a new product, they've got this product from England. Um, there are opportunities everywhere. I've done things from um, all sorts of things, magazines, which you wouldn't have thought would have gone into it. Um, oh pieces of engineering, wire, metal, children's books, children's furniture. Um, I did glass eyes into a part of the world once. Glass eyes? Wow. Yeah. So, Which part of the world, just out of interest, was taking well, the glass? Well, you could get them into, you know, teddy bear manufacturers and, oh, and, yeah, and toy manufacturers and, yeah. and the medical sector. And, and it can be services as well. I'm working with somebody who does cyber incident management at the moment for, and because he's particularly good at that. Um, you know, when a company's being blackmailed or 
um, whatever in any country in the world, which is going to bring down their brand and it's infiltrating their systems and it's happening. Anybody can do it. So there are opportunities everywhere and you can work on a strategy with somebody experienced like me who can, who will tell you, um, you know, in America, don't try and do all 52 states, but work out which one just, it's going to be. And yeah, that's going to be as big as a country anyway. Yeah. Um, so check it out. The, the other great benefit was when I started 300 years ago, I couldn't get really? marketing. Not that old Steve. Oh, it's been a slog. <laughs> I, I had to come down to London, London to get market intelligence, whereas today in my inbox every day, I get the media from the Middle East and the Far East. So I can find out where the opportunities are. And before you even start, somebody, I don't know, let's pretend it's me, could say, yeah, I've had a look at it. And here are three people who are in there already. If we can compete with these guys, or there's a big enough difference between, between us and these guys, we can make it happen. So you can do an awful lot of market intelligence before you even start, rather than invest a load of money Amazing. to do it. And who have you been your sort of great, if it, greatest influencers as well, well in, this, in terms of people? Um, I mean, my biggest issue was I was just a shy bloke from Stourbridge who people said I had a, at the time, you might even say now, I had a black country accent and I wasn't the brightest kid at school and I'd kind of transitioned up to... I never started in sales. I never imagined, you know, sales was a was a guy with a great patter and a smart suit and Well, and, it, you sort jokes, of think of it as quite an extra. I mean, I, I was in sales and I'm, I'm like on, on the other end of the E scale um, in terms of being an extrovert. And you sort of, I guess the stereotype is it's quite an extrovert mm. um, career. Yeah. Um, so I found ways of coping with, with that kind of thing, um, including going on to a people element, Another thing that people have stopped doing is to, they've stopped watching people. And the oh, younger generation now are going to be terrible because they're not watching people. They're watching when, their phones. When I'm walking the dog, they bump into me because they're watching their phone and they're not taking it in. I, I went through a process when I first went overseas. When you were in the meetings, it was fine because that's what you were going to do. And that was ambitious. What did you do outside of the meetings? And, you know, you, you, very quickly, you start off by ordering room service. Because you don't want to go into sitting and empty into a restaurant where people are looking at you as being the odd person who hasn't got any friends, and then you look at people who can't cope with it by because they're reading books. Yeah, books. I used to can't take a that. book down. Yes, and I decided I was missing lots of valuable information, so I watched people. Well, Steve, look, we've talked about the export trade. Just before we finish, I want to get on to the fact that you also have your own radio show. Tell me about that. You support the Black Country. Yeah. Yeah, that was something else that happened by accident, really. Um, I'm a strong believer in the skills and capabilities of particularly small and medium-sized businesses like you. I've been in corporate before. And it doesn't get the publicity. People don't get to hear about it, either because the people don't tell them. And um, I was chair of uh, a business organisation a few years ago, got called into radio, never done any before. Um, and um, when I came out of the interview, they said, oh, that was really good. And I said, it's flipping scary. But while I'm here, why don't you cover small business? And nobody had ever done it. So I sent them an idea. And um, 
I became a guest for two hours on the first Friday of a month, and then it became a guest. What's the name of your show? Let's give it a bit of a plug now. Well, I'm, I'm on Black Country Radio. Black Country Radio every Friday afternoon. Every Friday afternoon from one till four, and then, um, and then by accident, two years afterwards, the presenter said, um, I've been subtly training you up. Do you want to do it? So, yeah, um, we have guests covering, uh, you know, inspirational company stories, people who've gone through difficulties. But we also have somebody who comes in every Friday and, and will give tips on social media or marketing or coaching or mentoring, finance, any of those. And we'll give some tips, them some tips so that people can learn from something and then they can have access to um, fellow experts and some of the people I know. And um, then it's shortly also going to be added to, there's going to be an extra station soon online. There's going to be a one-hour business show every day of the week. Um, where, again, it'll be the same reason, the same core purpose is to help people get more from their business, to help them uh, you know, expand, grow, keep them going if they're going through tough times, because chances are what they're going through isn't only going to them. Well, Some I, of us have been through it along the way. I'll look forward to that. Steve, well, actually, we've turned this topic that I thought might not have been quite entertaining. We've had a few entertaining moments. But I have come to my last question. And that is, if you were to write in a, a message in a bottle for future generations to find, what would that message be? There's a saying that I think it was Mark Twain said years ago, which was the one along the lines of 20 years from now, you'll regret more the things that you didn't do than the things you did. So sail away from the safe harbour, catch the wind in your sails, explore, dream, discover. I Don't regret it. anything. Go overseas. Explore it. Have the fun of seeing your product in overseas markets, beating worldwide competition. And irrespective of the profits you make, and irrespective of your turnover, and irrespective of whether you live in a big house or a small house, or you invented it in your shed, it's a bit of a thrill. Steve, thank you so much for being a guest on my show. It's been great having you. Thanks, Sonia. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, there's a new interview out every Monday, so hit subscribe and like and you'll get it straight into your inbox.